Okay, uh, Pete's going to be speaking to us, but first of all, we're going to have Sean, who's going to bring us our reading. Hello, um, I'm Sean, and today's reading is from 1 Corinthians 3. Brothers and sisters, I could not address you as people who live by the Spirit, but as people who are still worldly, mere infants in Christ. I gave you milk, not solid food, for you were not yet ready for it. Indeed, you are still not ready. You are still worldly. For since there is jealousy and quarrelling among you, are you not worldly? Are you not acting like mere humans? For when one says, I follow Paul, and another, I follow Apollos, are you not mere human beings? What, after all, is Apollos? And what is Paul? Only servants through whom you came to believe, as the Lord has assigned to each his task. I planted the seed, Apollos watered it, but God has been making it grow. So neither the one who plants nor the one who waters is anything, but only God who makes things grow. The one who plants and the one who waters have one purpose, and they will each be rewarded according to their own labour. For we are co-workers in God's service. You are God's field, God's building. By the grace God has given me, I laid a foundation as a wise builder, and someone else is building on it. But each one should build with care, for no one can lay any foundation other than the one already laid, which is Jesus Christ. If anyone builds on this foundation using gold, silver, costly stones, wood, hay or straw, their work will be shown for what it is, because the day will bring it to light. It will be revealed with fire, and the fire will test the quality of each person's work. If what has been built survives, the builder will receive a reward. If it is burned up, the builder will suffer loss, but yet will be saved, even though only as one escaping through the flames. Don't you know that you yourselves are God's temple and that God's spirit dwells in your midst? If anyone destroys God's temple, God will destroy that person. For God's temple is sacred and you together are that temple. Do not deceive yourselves. If any of you think you are wise by the standards of this age, you should become fools so that you may become wise. For the wisdom of this world is foolishness in God's sight. As it is written, he catches the wise in their craftiness. And again, the Lord knows that the thoughts of the wise are futile. So then, no more boasting about human leaders. All things are yours, whether Paul or Apollos or Cephas or the world or life or death or the present or the future. All are yours and you are of Christ and Christ is of God. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Thank you so much, Sean, for that. And it's great to be with you. Um, really, really, really lovely. We, uh, it's quite distracting. If I get lost, lose my thought, try of thought at any point, there's lots of heckling going on on my chat function from old friends um, seeking to distract me. So that's what's going on. But it's so fun seeing that um, so much of the, the culture of the place that I, this church I absolutely love um, is still alive and kicking uh, in this whole digital context. The fun, the sense of expect expectation around the presence of God and the gifts of spirit being at work, just not being hindered at all by the digital nature of this. It's, it's so cool to see. It's such a great 
um, showing of the strength of the church is, is so good. Right, we, have, we haven't got loads of time. The St. Basil's crew normally gets subjected to like 40 minutes of me um, rambling on. So 15 minutes, in fact, I should set my timer. 15 minutes uh, is, is going to be a stretch, but let's go for it. Buckle up and, and we're going to go for it. I want to say lots by way of introduction, other than particularly to say thank you to you all, because you guys, whether or not you, you knew it or, or otherwise, um, have given so sacrificially, both in people, but in finance and in prayer, to get some basils off the ground. And I just wanted to encourage you as the leader of that church that it makes such a difference and just to please keep it up. You have so, so much to give to, to see this city and area transformed. And um, yeah, just want to encourage you, you're sowing seeds that are bearing fr fruit all around the place and to keep giving away, keep sending, keep growing um, the kingdom at a cost to yourselves. I know you're sending out Carl and others soon, um, which is amazing. So anyway, thank you. Keep it up. Um, it's an example that, you know, we hope to step into in the future, uh, the example that you're setting in all this stuff. Let's do a little recap. I think you're probably more than aware or familiar now with the talks from John, Doug, Amy, Naomi, which are all brilliant. And what is going on here in Corinth? Essentially, for those who haven't been a part of it, big city, hugely influenced by Roman culture and sort of intellectual debates. Church has been planted by Paul and, uh, and, 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 and that church is being sucked back into the way of thinking and the way of behaving um, before the gospel reached them and into the way of thinking and behaving of the culture around them. And so Paul is writing to kind of nail a whole bunch of specific areas of life, um, hoping to realign them where they're kind of like bumped out of line, realign them with the gospel. And so as an immediate aside, when we read a letter like this, um, it, it's a question for us, isn't it? It's like, are we, are we doing that work ourselves um, here and now for the culture of Devon, Exeter, in our school communities, in our workplaces, wherever it might be? We, we're doing so much sort of analyzing of Corinth, which is excellent, let's keep doing it. But I think the invitation with that then is to also analyze and assess our culture here. We, we go through the passage line by line. What if we went through culture line by line, trying to understand how certain bits of the culture around us are trying to suck us back away from heart postures and mind um, ways of thinking that are in line with the gospel. So I think it's it's worth just doing that, pausing and doing that. If we wanna, if you guys and, and we here as a puzzle as well, wanna have an impact on this area, we've not just got to be able to understand current, we've got to understand Exeter and Devon as well. And then I think we can really bring um, culture shaping uh, community to this place. Anyway, so that's a sort of an aside as we get going. Um, let's let's do the exegesis of the culture around us as well and not just of, of, of Corinth. The, the, the letter kind of like races through different sort of um, groupings of stuff. And so uh, divisions and onto sort of sex and food and the gatherings and all this sort of stuff. We're still in the divisions stage um, here. Uh, and so um, let's kick off looking at these first um, sort of two and a half verses. Brothers and sisters, I could not address you as people who live by the spirit, but as people who are still worldly or fleshy is perhaps a better way of putting it. Mere infants in Christ. I gave you milk, not solid food, for you were not ready for it. Indeed, you are still not ready for it. You are still worldly. You are still fleshly. And what he's doing up here, here is sort of almost, it's almost like in a criminal court, almost like these are the charges against you that I'm going to sort of address in this passage. Um, and there's sort of twofold. <clears throat> and he does them in the form of contrasts. So the first contrast is people of the spirit versus people of the flesh or people of the world. 
The second is um, infants versus sort of mature adults. And what he's saying to these guys is, hey, you're, you're living as people of the flesh of the world and you're, you're infants in your faith, not mature adults. So it's fairly punchy stuff uh, from, from Paul. Let's, let's take the first one first, this sort of spirit versus flesh sort of thing. This is something, these two things that Paul cares about so, so deeply, being people of the spirit who are maturing in their salvation um, it, it are such key themes in, 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 in Paul's writings. And so what he's, what he's saying here, just to be really clear, is he's not saying that these guys don't have the Holy Spirit. He's not saying that you, you, you don't have the Holy Spirit. Quite the opposite. The point is, is they are filled, just like you and I are today, they are filled with the same power that raised Christ from the, from the grave. And yet, and here's the tragedy, you wouldn't know it. You wouldn't know it. They, they are filled with the spirit, but you wouldn't know it from the way that they are thinking and the way that they're behaving. They're being, as I said, sucked back into the old ways of the flesh and of the world, sucked into and sort of, um, yeah, I suppose, dominated by the culture around them rather than shaping the culture around them. And of course, therein lies the age old and huge challenge for each and every single one of us all of the time. Are we being, are we sort of discernibly observably people who have been made new and filled with this extraordinary power that is the Holy Spirit. We have the answer, and maybe this feels even most tangible right now in everything that's going on in the world. We have the answer the world is looking for, but do our lives generate the question? That's the challenge that he's saying to them. Hey, you are filled with the extraordinary power of the Holy Spirit, and yet you are no one else would know it. No one would know it around you. So that's the first charge. Living as people of the flesh, not the spirit. <clears throat> and the second challenge and charge to them is that there are infants in their salvation, not adults, not maturing. And is 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 really he makes this point in so many other areas of his of his letter, of course. This is not this is sort of um churchy words here would be salvation and sanctification this idea of being saved by grace and yet sanctification means sort of like growing up in and maturing and progressing in our saveness in our holiness in our christ-likeness they have been saved by grace of course that isn't taken away yet it's possible for all of us for all of us to remain infants of that salvation to not grow into the fullness of, our, of, of who God made us to be and who he died for us to be on the cross. The hope is that over time, like aging happens, right? I mean, that's definitely going to happen. But I suppose the implication here is that maturity doesn't necessarily follow. Like life happens to us, events happen to us, the good, the bad, the ugly, the, the, the confusing, the still to be determined because we don't know what's going to happen. Life happens, we age, but I suppose the question here is, do we mature as we age? Because the biblical understanding of maturity is not just getting older, it's becoming more like Christ, inwards and outwards, and the fruit of our lives becoming more like Christ. And, and so these guys are getting older, they've grown up as a church, but they haven't matured. And that's the kind of challenge that uh, he is he's setting out to them. And, and it ties back to the one before, right, which is that they're living by the flesh, not by the spirit. And the only way to mature, the only way to take life's events 
from not just aging us, but actually maturing us is by the power of the spirit, by welcoming the work of the spirit in our lives and through prayer. Um, and so he's saying, hey, a consequence of you not living by the spirit, but by the flesh is that you are um, infants in your salvation still. And so it's another challenge that I found as I sort of prepared this is like, if I was to drive a stake in the ground two years ago, a year ago, maybe, maybe the beginning of the pandemic, like whatever point in time you want to do this. It was my youngest child's first birthday on Saturday, a week, a week ago. And it just got me thinking, she was born three, three weeks before the pandemic and sort of looking at her life. Well, she, she sort of learned to grow and, and, and um, she didn't learn to grow, she just grew. Um, uh, and she, she, but she did learn to sort of eat and she started to learn to crawl and then she started to walk, et cetera, et cetera, starting to try and form words. And so it got me thinking that, Hey, like she's changing over this time. I wonder how I am changing. Yes. I've probably put on some weight, but I more mean like inside me, in my, my soul, like how am I changing over this time? If I drive a stake in the ground at the beginning of the pandemic and reflect now, Hey, yes, I've got older. Yes. I've put on the COVID pound or whatever it is, but how, what's happened to my soul? Have I changed? Have I transformed? Have I matured in this time? I've definitely aged, but have I matured? So he's saying to them, Hey, you're living by the flesh, not by the spirit. You've remained infants, not matured in your faith. And here's how I know it. If that's the charge in the court, here's exhibit A. And this is in um, verse three, the second half of three. So he says, you are still worldly. For since there is jealousy and quarreling among you, one of the words there, it can be translated as rivalry. Are you not worldly? Are you not acting like mere humans? One says, I follow Paul, another, I follow Apollos. Are you not mere human beings? And later on, he says, so then no, in verse 21, no more boasting about human leaders. So you've touched on this a whole bunch in the past, I know, in, in this series. But this is one of the primary ways that he knows that they have, they're living by the flesh and that they have not, um, and that they have not uh, matured is, is their rivalry and their quarreling, uh, which you have, you know, covered really well in the talks so far. They're fighting over who is their favorite leader. And this is so obviously a sign of the flesh to Paul, because the work of the spirit is always to build up the church, make us and make us one to unite us with each other as one body with many parts, but also with Christ. And so where there is disunity and quarreling and rival, there, that is the, the Holy Spirit is not the dominant for, like, force at work in that environment. And so my encouragement to, to you guys is, is, is what, watch out for this, I suppose. You know, you, you, um, what's ex so exciting, you're about to plant um, out, you're about to welcome in new leaders, et cetera, et cetera. You're going to be making shifts back out of the pandemic, all of this sort of stuff. But if you read Ephesians, we know that the enemy works in footholds and hints and just sort of sneaks in there. If it was obvious, it'd be less powerful. But just to really shut out any of this stuff, any quarrel, any, any rivalry, any, you know, who's your favorite, John or Joe, none of that stuff. You know, just really, particularly as you guys stretch yourselves and go for it and plant again, just to really kind of slam the door on any hints of this stuff and keep welcoming the work of the spirit. And so he, he says to them, hey, I can see that you're doing this because of how your rivalries exist and you're quarreling. And he says, you know, so that isn't a sign of the, that's a sign of the flesh anyway, but it's also just really, really foolish fighting over leaders because it's not about the leaders. They're sort of trying to point to God 
and there you are pointing at them and gazing at them. And he calls them very distinctive Christian language, right? What in verse five, what after all is Apollos? And what is Paul? Only servants, servants. Paul is underlining here distinctively Christian concept of leadership as service, which is a challenge to the worldview that would have been going on at the time, which is this thing called, um, you know, really strong in Roman culture. They're really big on sort of um, leadership and all this sort of stuff. And uh, they had this thing called cursus honorum. It was called the course of honor. And imagine it's just like an upward staircase. It was all about, your goal was to become honorable in, in, in the city that you lived um, and to sort of get to a statue in the middle of the city or any of these different things. Um, and you got there by triumph, by victory, by defeating others, by crushing, by accumulating wealth, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And they seem to have been sucked into this mindset of like, this one's better, this one's better, this one's better. And he's just saying, no, 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 the Christian way of life, but also of leadership is, is not an ascending staircase. It's not the course of honor. Jesus in Philippians 2, that amazing passage about Jesus emptying himself for the sake of us and then being honored by God. Well, what he's saying in all of that is that the way of Christian life and the way to honor is descending. It's the way down, not the way up. And so he's saying to them, hey, don't, don't focus on the leaders, but also those leaders, they're trying to descend. They're not trying to ascend. Um, and so it's, a, it's again, a, a point of reflection for all of us, isn't it? Of like, do we find meaning and value and worth on the way up? Or do we find it on the way down in service to others? Do we find it in accumulation and holding on to things? Or do we find it in the giving away and giving them to others? Jesus's way of life that we are called to follow, it was a downwards journey. He, he rode into Jerusalem on a donkey, not a war horse for a reason. He bowed at a table and washed the dirt out of their feet for a reason. He's saying, this is what God is like, and this is the way that we need to follow. Um, and so he's saying this is a very distinctive way of life. It's a way, very distinctive way of leadership, which is basically about service. And then he says, and even in the way that they're serving you, which he commends, right? He, 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 he has this amazing bit. I planted the seed, Apollos watered it, and God did the, grow, did the growing. He's commending both his work and Apollos' work, the individuality and the difference of those things, but he's also putting them as equal and unified. It's a kind of one body, many parts moment again. Uh, but then he says, and God did the growing. God did the growing. It's foolishness to focus on the leaders because it's God that does the growing, not them anyway. And I just want to pick up on one really cool concept that, that, that Paul would have been really steeped in, which is if you go back to the Genesis narrative around creation, it says it was evening, it was morning the first day. It was evening, it was morning the second day. And I'd never really noticed this until about a year ago. And it's just completely transformed my worldview. The Hebrew understanding was that the day started in the evening, not the morning. It started with our inactivity and God's activity. While we are asleep, the day begins. And so we have this self-centered sort of idea that, that like I wake up, the day starts, God come and join in with me. Whereas what, what the Hebrew understanding and Paul have been steeped in this, and what he's saying when God does the growing is that it happens while we're, while we're sleeping. When we wake up, we're not asking God to join in with us. 
we have the privilege of waking up to join in with what God is already doing. And so I just want to pray off pressure that comes from self-sufficiency um, and trying to sort of make things happen in the world. Yes, our contributions are critical. It calls us in verse nine, co-workers in God's service. We are steeped with causality and influence and all of these things to bear influence on the world. But it is God that does the growing. As you plant churches, as you stick in, in, in the church for a longer, there's such a call to faithfulness in this time and a long obedience. As we do this, we've got to know, we've got to know God does the growing. When we wake up, he's already been active. When we sleep, it's already active. We're not the messiahs. We're not the saviors. We're not the heroes. He is. So let's not focus on the leaders, appreciate them. They're making the they're commendable work, but it's God that does the growing. So I think the summary of this is that Paul is inviting, really, frankly, he's challenging us um, to, to, to live as adults, be hungry, to grow, to progress in our faith, not stand still, to not remain as infants, but to st- create more more areas of our life surrendered to him, more areas of our life experiencing freedom, growing in our gifts, growing in our character, to live as people of the spirit, not as the flesh, taking the sort of easy route of the flesh. He's asking us to stand out from the culture around us to be observably and discernibly people renewed by Jesus and filled with the spirit. He's calling us to live unity uh, in unity. Uh, and he's saying, follow the way of Jesus downwards in service. And as you do that, don't rely on your own strength. Know that God is the one who is sufficient in all of our weakness. And he is working. It was evening. It was morning. The first day planted, watered, but God does the growing. So let's, I'm going to finish there because I think that's my time. Uh, and so we're going to go straight over to, to breakout rooms. So I think that this, the question uh, that's going on throughout the series, of course, is what stood out to you in that passage? Not just what I said, you know, the Lord will be speaking to you by his spirit. So what stood out to you in the passage? And then the question I just want to ask is almost tying it all together. What are the major forces at work in, in Devon's culture and, and read into that Exeter or read that into that your workplace or your family that can prevent you from maturing in your faith? What are the things what, that, that seem to suck you away from a descending life that's God sufficient, that serves others, um, that's by the spirit, not by the flesh, and that's unified, et cetera, et cetera? What are the major forces at work in Devon's culture that prevent us from a maturing life? So over to you guys in the groups.